All right. Um, so uh, to kick things off this week, uh, I thought I would do a callback to a very amusing story that we've all enjoyed. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, about Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, son of Ron, getting absolutely laid out and annihilated by his next-door neighbor in a property line slash lawn dispute. Y'all remember that one? That classic middle American tale, a man and his lawn. It has now come time for uh, his neighbor, who is one uh, Dr. Butcher, who Bouchard, I don't know. Boucher, probably, Boucher. would be my guess. Uh, one, of, one, one of the descendants of Bobby Boucher, the water boy, another <laughs> rage-based combatant. I mean, that's Boucher funny, but that is usually how that's pronounced. But uh, who knows? Okay. They're uh, fucking Kentucky. So uh, we now, it has now come time for uh, Mr. Boucher to uh, to be sentenced for his crime of uh, attacking, attacking, a, a, attacking sitting a senator. senator. <laughs> and in, in the court filings, it reveals uh, the genesis of this dispute and combat. And the details are hysterical. So I'd just like to uh, fill you guys in on uh, what was really going on. So it says uh, the filing offers, I'm reading here from uh, uh, just a news account of this court filing. And it says... Uh, the filing offers context into what led to the November 3rd incident in the Rivergreen subdivision where Paul and Boucher are neighbors. On that date, Paul was tackled outside his residence while doing yard work. Boucher told law enforcement that he ran onto the senator's property and tackled Paul <laughs> after he witnessed Paul stack brush on top of a pile near his property. That motherfucker! <laughs> Baker's filing makes the case that the roots of the tackling incident could be traced to the summer of 2017 when Boucher trimmed the limbs on a few maple trees on the property line dividing the Boucher and Paul properties. That motherfucker. Prior to the trimming, the branches were low to the ground and extended a substantial distance across Boucher's property. In September 2017, Paul piled limbs and remnants from freshly trimmed shrubs onto a spot on Paul's property, but just off the property line with Boucher. Boucher. I'm not violating the NAP. This pile measured about five feet high and ten feet long, according to Baker's filing. On October 10th, Boucher gathered up the pile of debris, placed it into a portable dumpsters, and had it hauled away. Even though this debris was not on Dr. Boucher's, Boucher's property, he viewed it as unsightly, as it was placed directly in his line of sight from his patio and the back door of his house, the memorandum states. The brush pile was reconstructed on October 13th or 14th, and Boucher had the debris removed a few days later, only for a new pile to be made in the same spot on October 20th or 21st. Go ahead, Senator Paul. So, uh, where's, he, where's he getting all this fucking brush? How many fucking trees do they have on this property? Well, you know, a five feet high. Uh, it was federal, a- federal Martian Raylan Marshall Raylan <laughs> Gibbons was sent to protect Senator Paul because it falls under his jurisdiction. But he found that the trees are cover for Rand Paul's Krugerrand laundering scheme. <laughs> well, and actually, he, he he put Rand Paul down in a duel because Rand Paul tried to draw a flintlock pistol. What actually happened was uh, Rand, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Boucher, uh, he vaccinated all of the limbs of the trees on Dr. Paul's property and then went away. And when he came mm-hmm. back, they were all piled up in a pile <laughs> on the property line. And, he, and then a it hit him like a diamond. <laughs> the, the commitment... That it would take to do something like a that. A pile of immac- inoculated limbs. Uh, the story goes on, though. It's not just uh, the it's not just the limbs we're talking about here. 
On November 2nd, a day before the tackle, Boucher used gasoline to burn a pile of yard debris that had been constructed just off the property line with Paul. A fireball created from the burn caused Boucher to sustain second-degree burns on both of his arms as well as the left side of his neck and face, for which Boucher began seeking medical treatment November 7th. On November 3rd, Paul used his lawnmower to blow leaves from his property onto Boucher's yard, according to Baker. During this process, Rand Paul stepped away from his lawnmower, gathered several branches from an adjacent pile of trash, and placed them in the exact location where the last pile had been burned just one day prior, Baker said in the filing. As Dr. Boucher had stated throughout, he lost his temper and tackled Rand Paul as Paul was carrying branches from another location on his property (laughs) and placing them on the property line. Immediately after the incident, Paul referred to Boucher as crazy. Boucher told Paul that he wanted this to stop. Paul replied that the police would be visiting Boucher. So, real fucking libertarian of uh, Rand Hill. We have to disavow. We disavow Rand Paul. No, he didn't break the NAP. That guy broke the NAP by tackling him. All he was doing was repeatedly and seemingly psychotically uh, stacking limbs of trees right in front of this guy's property, which, who cares? But also, it, it really just says... What we were talking about over the weekend, this suburban psychosis on both sides of this, of this guy being driven to insanity by just the sight of some trees right off of his property, and of Rand Paul just maniacally, like a fucking worker ant, just piling up the sticks right on the other side of the property line over and over again, no matter how many times the guy removed them. Dr. Boucher literally became two-faced after he decided to uh, burn a pile of trees and leaves on the property line. But also, it goes on. Want to know how I enforce these contracts? (laughs) (laughs) It goes on. It says, uh, the memorandum filed Friday quotes what Baker said is a victim impact statement from Paul filed May 21st in which the senator says, quote, he can only assume that Boucher's deep-seated anger towards me commingles with his hatred of my political policies and states that Boucher must be suffering from a personality disorder, substance abuse, intense political hatred, or all of the above. Baker called those allegations completely unfounded. Dr. Boucher has adamantly denied any such political motivations throughout, as even the suggestion of them is completely unfounded and simply not true. Yeah, I'm going to guess the millionaire dickhead doctor who lives in the fucking suburb uh, next to Rand Paul probably isn't pissed at him for his contribution to American empire. He's probably just pissed about the lawn. But I do like that, again, Rand Paul, principled libertarian, is trying to get his neighbor done up on terrorism charges by pretending that this is some kind of political dispute. Look, you violate the NAP, and then you are totally in your right to bring the agents of state down to fucking wreck your shit. That's the only reason they're there. They're basically there to wait for somebody to get tackled on their lawn and then arrest the guy who did it. Dr. Boucher does seem like a psycho, too. Oh, absolutely. But I love the idea of him just being perpetually driven ever and ever closer to this explosion of violence by Rand Paul, like you said, just robotically stacking trash and debris <laughs> on the same place over and over again after this guy has literally paid for a dumpster to remove it yeah. because he finds it unsightly. Now, that's neighborly is what I call it. No, that, this, is, this is real suburb mindset yeah, going exactly. on here. These are the people who are going to ruin all of us. Well, you, you have to check in with my homeowners association <laughs> before you roll by blood. <laughs> Well, uh, I think we should uh, start the show and introduce this week's guest. It is returning champion, returning champion, goddamn, returning champion, 
Alex Nichols, a.k.a. Low and Option. Alex, what's going on? Hello. Uh, first of all, I have a list of 95 logical fallacies here you guys <laughs> used in the last episode when you were criticizing uh, Protestantism. Uh, number one <laughs> is that uh, you compared uh, homeowners associations to the Salem Witch Trials, which is actually uh, fallacious. That's argumentum ad hominem <laughs> because the homeowners association is the modern equivalent of the feudal lord. It requires fealty to a central authority in order to own land, and that is a relic of the age dominated by the church. Also, you think the Salem witch trials were actually good? Yes, they were witches. That's <laughs> true. Real motherfucking Mayflower hours right now. I mean, it's like everyone complains about the Salem witch trials, but did you see anyone fall victim to witchcraft after? That's true. So people are going to complain no matter problem. what. They Took care of that shit. Problem. First, there's too many witches. Now there's not enough witches. Alex is uh, he's unbuckled the belt on his hat and is uh, getting a little <laughs> loose and uh, ready to hang out and, uh, and, and chat on the pod. Um, actually, uh, since we're talking about the um, uh, a bygone era, a, a dark and benighted one in which the Catholic Church ruled all aspects of the state, the economy and your social life. I'd like to talk about um, Italians in Staten Island uh, <laughs> doing funny things. Alex, you down for that? Oh yeah. Uh hopefully I don't get too mad. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was a uh this is a really funny uh just clip uh that um Patty Mo discovered this week. This is uh so we all know uh big news item, Robert De Niro used the cuss word in reference to our president at the Tony Awards. He's done for now, week. folks. I yeah, um look, the 78-year-old actor whose brain is made out of the same wet log material that Donald <laughs> Trump's is went to a special party they throw for musicals, and he was mean to the president. He said, fuck Trump. Damn. And I shattered my monocle just hearing you repeat it. Incredible. I mean, I, I doubt he'll work again. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know what's funnier. Is, is him thinking that, that was cool, or all of the resistance people who were, who were mad at him for being undecorous and, and lowering the, yeah. the, the state of, of, the, of the debate? Uh, or these fucking or, or the morons who, getting who are, all mad are, about it who are, who are furious it's just him. a chain reaction of delusion and psychosis so uh obviously so yeah de niro stood up to our president at the tonys and it's provoked some very uh very impassioned reactions from all quarters perhaps no more impassioned than this gentleman in staten island discovered by uh patty mo i'm just gonna I'll play a clip now of uh this guy. This used to be my idol. I used to love this guy, <laughs> Robert De Niro. But after what he did last night at the Tonys, this is where Robert goes. What, what proceeds now is about a minute long of this guy trying to okay. leave his house. This guy wheezing and, 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 and struggling and to get it into the garbage. Is what we think of you. <laughs> he, he, he took a uh, He took a framed photo of Robert De Niro by the way fellas. from Goodfellas in which he plays an Irish guy half Irish half Italian no that's Henry Hill uh, Conway is all Irish Jimmy oh, Conway is right. all Irish De Niro's most iconic roles are playing an Irish murderer a guy a Jewish bookkeeper who would now be looked at as neuroatypical <laughs> and a member of the resistance in Meet the Parents <laughs> his character in Meet the Parents would be tweet would now be a Trump replier um, oh, yeah. that's true. Well, no, what he should, hey, Mr. President, I have yeah. nipples. Can you milk me? <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, Mr. President, my cat can pee on a toilet, but you can't even swear on the Constitution. So uh, just to just to describe that video, it's a it's a Staten Island guy taking his framed photo of Robert De Niro waddling out of his house, throwing it in the trash and then hitting it with a hammer to smash the glass. He reaches into the trash to take the photo out of the broken glass, rips it up into further small pieces. <laughs> Fight the real enemy. And, and throws it into the garbage. What I love about this, and, and there, there was a couple other uh, Italian-Americans who made their displeasure with their one-time hero, Robert De Niro, known. And what I find funny about this is he's got the framed photo from Goodfellas, and all of these people said, you know, De Niro used to be my idol. Or as an Italian and American, I always looked up to Robert De Niro because of his movies. We were talking about this before. In any movie where Robert De Niro is explicitly playing an Italian or is even associated with Italians, like Goodfellas, even though he's Irish, is literally not a single positive portrayal no, of Italian. Well, well, uh a Bronx tale, he's like seems honest, but his other part of his character is he's virulently racist. In a Bronx tale, he plays like the, the good, the honest, hardworking Italian. bus driver Italian. Mm-hmm. However, man. however, I've never seen a single Italian reference that movie as one of their favorites. I mean, they should because no. he's incredibly racist in that movie. <laughs> yeah, but that movie does imply that his son dating the black girl is nice and romantic, and they don't like that part. No, it's uh, uh, hey, look, son, we can't uh, we can't reproduce our uh, civilization with other people's babies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. All I know is these people are forgetting Joe Colombo. Joe Colombo founded the Italian American Civil Rights Association. Said all this stuff, all those movies, those are bad. That's bad. It, it makes people look bad. It makes our people look bad. And now you're 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 worshiping this guy. Forget about it. It's like did they, did, I, I I think they think that De Niro like is a criminal. It's weird that and people and not a fancy actor and not an actor. It is yeah. weird the people who idolize. I, know, I think Trump you're also all being a, a little hard, hard on De Niro. How reality. fucking old is he? Yeah, like seventy five. Yeah, I him saying fuck. What what else is he gonna do? Go on a hunger strike? He I, die immediately. I miss his more meaningful activism against vaccines. That's true. <laughs> He's been much more helpful there, like, weeding out the population. Really, it's fine. It's spectacle, but it's not like we don't live in a world that rewards celebrity spectacle. That's literally why Trump got elected. No, well, so, that's what's so. Fu- well, that's the, the way this makes sense. Is that guys who like idolize Donald Trump and think he's a cool guy and a good president or whatever, and they also kind of can't get their head around the idea that De Niro is an actor who is playing roles over those years. Well, all these all these Trump guys do idealize the sort of people like Goodfellas because it's about like essentially it's about a guy with friends mm-hmm. and that's what all these people wish they had it's about a guy who gets to hang out with his friends all the time that's kind of why people like the Sopranos it's why all these movies are so popular and do you remember those pictures of Michael Cohn after he went to court yeah where him and all his idiot friends are wearing blazers that are in the patterns of Italian restaurant tablecloth <laughs> it's like that's the ultimate thing for them just to hang out with their friends and be like you know friday afternoon and a cigar nothing like it and really just not have any deeper bond because they sort of have the brains of anteaters <laughs> and can't truly bond over anything but they want that lifestyle not really the crime so much though they do do those they well, the, would like the it takes so much commitment to be a community. successful criminal yeah it, it is a fantasy of community i i definitely think that that's a big part of it um and you know getting away with being a, a shitty person 
Um, oh, being so charismatic, no one like cares that you're a shitty person is right. like the most American. Right. You want that so fucking bad. I just think it's weird that like the kind of um, ethnic kinship they believe themselves to have with a Robert De Niro outsizes their general homophobia, which they direct at anyone who has ever been in like a school play. The other thing that you mentioned that people love Goodfellas because it's a movie about having friends. That's so true because I remember a while back, uh, New York Post and National Review film critic Kyle Smith. I remember this. Wrote an article about Goodfellas about like the the the, the hook for the article is why women don't get Goodfellas. Oh yeah. It was about how women don't like it's the he called Goodfellas the ultimate guy movie, and and when you really read the article, it's not really about women. What it's about is Kyle Smith, and clearly what he took from Goodfellas is. Henry Hill has the best life ever. Right. He's got two close male friends that he has fun with. Well, that's the thing is that women don't have to fantasize about friendly intimacy. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. have intimate friendships. It's like the one perk. Alex, will you be throwing away all of your uh, Sopranos and Goodfellas memorabilia? Absolutely. Fuck these people. <laughs> 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 Fuck the Sopranos. Fuck Robert De Niro. I don't give a shit. Well, I think it's funny because all of the actors on The Sopranos, other than Gandolfini, who was a lib, are a hundred percent Trump guys. Like they, really? that's all, true. Yeah. yeah. Even uh, what's the the guys in uh, Springsteen's band? No, 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 no yeah, yeah, not, Steve, not little Steven. Steven. Not little Steven. Little Steven's a good guy. He's uh, yeah, he he was an anti-apartheid activist in a way that was actually kind of politically effective, which I think you can't say that about a, a single pop star. Yeah. Any other, it's just him. It's just the guy that wore the bandana in the back of the Glory Days video. That's the only politically significant artist of the last thirty years. It's true. It's very true. Actually, the other thing that I want to talk about with the 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 De Niro thing is that it was just like another example. I saw a whole spate of takes that were. Uh, this just shows how much our culture is coarsening. Yes, and it's yes. sort of the tribalism of yeah. our culture. It's whether it's Samantha B or Robert. All Hugh, these they're swear say, words. They're saying swear words at the president. All this cursing. Or whatever. And it really does seem it's because we only have these conversations when uh, actual celebrities like De Niro do it. But I do remember when Ted Nugent said that he wanted to stick a machine gun up Hillary Clinton's pussy yeah. and pull the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just ex- he was just expressing his political passion. But the thing is, like Ted Nugent hasn't been a celebrity since the seventies, right. so like he's only doing state fairs and like you know. Ma- the MAGA audience doesn't really penetrate yeah. into the broader that is the big pop difference. It's bubble. the asymmetry of cultural yeah. like impact is that all of the celebs people actually li- pay attention to or at least know who they are anymore are all fucking lips. Oh God, sorry. One last thing. Uh, of course, Trump saw the De Niro thing and yes. had to reply to it because right. basically, I think it, someone said this this week. I forget who, but I, I think it's one hundred percent true. Trump would have never, ever even ran for president if he realized that becoming president didn't make it so that every famous person in the world had yes. to kiss your ass yes. and be nice to you. Yes. Yeah. And the, uh, the really happened. Yeah. No, <laughs> just like his followers all are all baffled that they aren't getting more respect when they go to Starbucks. They all thought, once they win, you, everyone has to sort of acknowledge that you're good and that you are worthy of respect. And it's not happening, and so, it definitely pisses uh, them off. Trump replied to De Niro on Twitter, of course, and he said, very low IQ individual, Robert De Niro, uh, was very rude to me. He, I, I think he's punchy, or like he, he, he accused De Niro of having declining mental faculties, yes. which is hilarious coming from him. <laughs> but he said, I think he has CTE from being beaten up by too many real life boxers in movies. 
<laughs> and it was like, okay, he only played a boxer in one, in one movie. Movie, and that wasn't the real Sugar Ray Robinson beating no, him up. No, he doesn't there. know I'm, what reality <laughs> is. I'm going to decipher this this tweet. He did not mean concussive traumatic. He meant uh, this I, brain degenerative disease that only befalls Italians. <laughs> uh, Calabrian tortellini embolism. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows the president. It's tragic. It's I've seen it. Very you know? sad. Yeah. He's yeah. got farfalla lung. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, moving on from a, a celeb who uh, disrespects our commander in chief and is, you know, he's a punk now. He's, I'm, a, he's I'm, a punk. Thrown into garbage. De Niro he used to be about respect, but now, garbage. I will not be watching Meet the Fockers children's children. Uh, so let's move on to a celebrity who actually isn't afraid to tell the truth about our president mm-hmm. and show respect. He's a celebrity that's not afraid to invest in the respect economy <laughs> and know that any investment in the respect you have for Donald Trump will be paid back tenfold in the future. I'm talking, of course, about comedian and now podcast entrepreneur <laughs> Dennis Miller. Hell yes. Mm-hmm. Woo! It's Miller time, and uh, Alex, you wrote a a piece for uh, the outline uh, last week about Dennis Miller's new career as a podcast host. Can you explain uh, for our listeners what the Dennis like? First of all, like what Dennis Miller has been up to, but also what the, what his what the experience of listening to the Dennis Miller option is like. Well, Dennis Miller hasn't been up to much in the past three years. He was on talk radio for eight years, I think. Then it got canceled. He posted a thing saying, uh, I have uh, so many things I'm working on. I just don't have time for this. But then he didn't work on anything for three years. So he was obviously lying. He was on Bill O'Reilly a couple times. And now uh, Bill O'Reilly is not having him on for some reason. <laughs> um so well, he now he Bill has O'Reilly's his own like, podcast. He was like he would co-host. He would like guest host the O'Reilly Factor when O'Reilly went on vacation. Wait, seriously? Yeah, like Miller. Miller yeah. would step in and like he John, also went on tour with him. John Kasich and Dennis Miller used to be Bill O'Reilly's like stand-in guest hosts when That's O'Reilly went away though, to like St. Parts or whatever. Because the 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 listenership would not overlap at all. Like Dennis Miller's like whole thing is that he has word salad. And he's, you know, he's, he's sundowning. Um, and that's his act. And people uh, are too, I guess, insecure to be like, I think maybe this was bullshit. So, like, they laugh nervously, hoping that no one around them is like, do you get that reference? Like, and, and that's the whole thing. That, that comes off really, like, snobby to the your average Bill O'Reilly listener. Yeah. They would have hated him. But they went on him. tour together. They would go to... to, to State, they would go to events, they would go to theaters and do a performance, a comedy show, where they would just complain about Democrats. They would alternate. And I saw somebody was online talking about this. They went to it for, for I think, journalistic reasons. They went to one in 2008, and then they went to one like four years later, and they said something like 70% of the material was exactly the same. But those oh people the tickets were like a hundred dollars. Possibly, like the, the Bill O'Reilly audience cannot possibly like Dennis Miller's act. No, but they appreciate that a guy who knows all those references agrees with them. I think that's what it boils yeah, down. To. Alex, do you do you know exactly when Dennis Miller made this hard right turn? Nine eleven was it? Maybe. Was he a nine eleven guy? Yeah, yeah, it was nine eleven. But he he wasn't really that political to begin with. I think people overestimate how much he was a political comedian to begin with or how much he was a liberal and how much he was just, you know, like Donald Trump, just like going with the flow. That's what you do when you're 
a New York guy and you're in with that crowd. Like his fan base, I don't even after listening to like 10 hours of his podcast, I still can't figure out what his fan base is supposed to be because he's obviously trying to appeal to the Trump people. Like he's uh, that's the only crowd he's going to get really if you're like a 67-year-old uh, washed up celebrity, you know, an old white guy. But he makes these references that no Trump people would understand. And like he, he's teetering between trying to do political comedy, but he doesn't get mad enough and he doesn't really know enough. Like he clearly just doesn't give a shit. So it's just like it's mostly just him babbling about memories that he just that just pop up at random, just referencing movies from 1946 well, yeah, I mean, he's contemptuous. That's his whole vibe. Like, it, you know, the the thing, the kind of um, this, the social or cultural undercurrent that Trump voters hated about the Democratic institution around Hillary is the same thing that they would hate around Dennis Miller. He's smug and contemptuous and disdainful of Ruth. Yes, but he switched it now. I was listening to a show, most, not his most recent one, the one that came out today. He fucking has Gene Simmons on, and I can't wait to listen to that. But he, his new thing is that he is now, uh, his, well, the thing he's contemptuous of is liberals' contempt for regular people. He now his, he said repeatedly in this episode, it's like, okay, you're smarter than us, but stop lording it over everybody. Some of us don't know as much. It's okay. So he's now trying oh. to be with that, with that style, with the thing where he just like makes nothing but arcane references over and over again, somehow is trying to rebrand he's as trying a to, fucking populist. It's an insane thing. Pivot to aw shucks. That's it's, not going to work is. for him. He is. And it's amazing. Well, the, they... Uh, I think one reason they may be invested in the Dennis Miller industry is like it's like their V2 rocket, they think. All the uh, lib comedians like Sam B and Trevor Noah and Seth Meyers, like they all, none of them tell jokes. They just say things that are true in like a shitty tone. And they're like, what if we could do that? Yes. It's like that guy who wrote that thing about how there needs to be a conservative Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. They counter program. They have it on Saturday Night Live, same time, but broadcast from the heartland, Alex, Omaha, Nebraska. Please do or that, Alex. Did you, did you see that? Uh, Will Summer covered it. It was a guy who was uh, pitching a conservative SNL alternative. Did you mention? Did you see that? I thought that's what Hee Haw was. <laughs> <laughs> that, I'm, I didn't I, see I love that. No. Oh, Alex, it was amazing. And like, uh, he, yeah, as Matt was explaining, he wanted to be like explicit counter programming yeah. to the biggest sketch comedy show in America. So he would have it on Saturday night at 1130. Right. At oh. the exact same time, but it would be hosted, as Matt said, from Omaha, Nebraska. Yes. And he, he pitched, he was like, here are five guests that could, like, that could, that could lead off the, the season of this and to, that would compete with Saturday Night Live and yeah. eventually replace it. I think the guests he mentioned were Dennis Miller. Of course. Mm-hmm. Greg Gutfeld. James yes. Woods. James Woods. Dean Kane. Dean Kane and <laughs> Ben Shapiro. Holy shit. Is this a golden age Dean Martin roast? Is this, <laughs> the, yeah, the, is this you know, the best night you could ever get in the comedy cellar? I like I like ima- I want to imagine this show because like the recurring characters would be what like oh it's your favorite character the MS13 rapist scumbag <laughs> and it's like the sketches just evolve into them screaming red faced at the audience about mm-hmm. how Democrats want to murder your children yeah, and like, Nancy Pelosi makes money off of Planned Parenthood baby sales they would just forget that they were acting 
They would just start yeah. arguing with like the guy in the MS-13 As we have said before, you that's why they can't shit. finish You're a fucking joke. ruining this fucking country, you bitch. It, yeah, it, it'll, it'll Dude, I'm, I, it's a costume. <laughs> like they, they, they'll, they'll start with a comedy premise and character who's like Mr. MS-13. But by the end of this sketch, he'll be uh, literally uh, raping someone and hacking their arms off with a machete. Yeah. And they'll be like, Funny. They're like, this, <laughs> this is, is what they're, they're doing. doing to you. <laughs> this is what they're doing to America. Well, that's the problem with Dennis Miller, as Alex can attest, is that he doesn't sound mad. He sounds very, very tired and kind of bewildered. There's no fire. There's no outrage. It's just sort of like, what's going on with these? The yeah, he's like, like he's in his sixties. He lives in uh, Santa Barbara. He's just like his mind is going. He doesn't give a shit. He really doesn't well, care. He doesn't even know what's going on. Like in his podcasts. He's literally reading the newspaper. He's doing like <laughs> he's doing like the hack thing that they do on Cumbtown as a joke. Where you just pick up the New York Times. It's like, oh, what's in here? Uh, Trump is uh, meeting with uh, Kim Jong Un. Ooh, what's that? Wow. <laughs> Canada stalls on trade pact. <laughs> well, Alex, uh, I want, I want trade to be- pact. What are they trading? A uh, freaking uh, hockey players? I don't know. <laughs> Well, I wonder. Uh, there's a certain quality that, that you capture in your article. Uh, we, we mentioned sundowning earlier, and I think that's exactly what's going on here, where he just sort of um, he just sort of lets his mind go into this kind of Proustian reverie, where, where you know it's like his the Madeline dipped in tea yes. like every episode. And uh, you say here, yeah, he has a, he has a producer, and they do a mailbag segment, and, and you you quote from this well, from one segment that is truly incredible. Where he goes, he, so he's, the producer says, uh, we're going to do the mailbag segment. And those words send Miller into this kind of fugue state. And he goes, speaking of mailbag, Lana Turner, postman, when she first steps into the room, Garfield ogles her. And he's referencing the film, The Postman Always Rings <laughs> Twice. And she goes, she's hot. And uh, Garfield perfectly receives her. You know what I mean? It's a perfect degree between primal piltdown man cave limbic <laughs> lizard aesthetic appraisal you know the whole thing <laughs> you just... say here miller is referencing a 1912 hoax in which an orangutan skull was attached to a human skeleton and passed off as a newly discovered species it's unclear how this relates to the movie i, I don't yeah, i honestly don't like think that he knows the piltdown man is a hoax firing... i think he was born after 1946 <laughs> in like the Piltdown Man, that was proven as a hoax decades before he was born. <laughs> so, like, if, if he's trying to reference Caveman, yeah. like, it's just, how did he even think of that? Because it's he insane. just says the references. There's script of yeah. context. Yeah. Like, but, he just knows Piltdown Man. Yeah, he thinks he, of it as, like, cave stuff. He doesn't know anything like, oh, it was make, made up. His brain functions like uh, Google like autocomplete. Like a little like yours? <laughs> yes. No, no, not like mine. A little bit. No, I do like complex bits that make sense. Like, <laughs> what if a terrified, uh, stereotypical Jewish man was playing Fortnite and right. he didn't have a gun? What if he would what? be? He would be like, "Oh, I hope nobody shoots me." <laughs> that's that's intelligent comedy. <laughs> Sorry, uh, he, the, this riff continues, and he goes, "Garfield, he died early. I think he died at thirty-nine. Is that possible? He was a bit of a young Bolshevik." I think a lot of those guys were, you know, trying to get laid at these meetings, right? <laughs> and then he, he, you say, Miller then appears to hallucinate an assistant named Sean, whose name does not appear in any information about the podcast. I'm on the radio. I look over. He's got a PowerPoint presentation on Lana Turner's areolas. He's got a red laser pointer out and an overhead slide projector. 
I haven't seen this many microfiche since I worked at a college work study at the Social Security Administration in 1972. But yeah, oh my Garfield ended up dying early. <laughs> I love that. I love, I, I love that, that classic microfiche that, like, humor. Times, and I still don't understand it. Like, I, I, I guess he was like trying to make the joke that he had an assistant that was showing him Lana Turner's areolas on microfiche. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't get it. This I love that I've devoted has- so much brain power to figuring this out, and I just don't get it. No, like everyone has their their five minutes of New York is different from L.A., their five minutes of airline, and then their ten minutes of microfiche. But that's the thing is that he's he's doing his classic joke construction of I haven't seen a blank since blank, and the blank is a reference, but he's so far gone now that he just thought of his own life. Like it's supposed to be a reference, even if it's obscure, that someone could hypothetically get. There is no one on earth but him who can get working at the Social Security office when you're in college in 1972 because it happens specifically like, to him. Yeah, that's the only place where microfiche would be. It's like that's the like that's the only place you could find microfiche. Like I haven't seen it since I saw the it only place I've ever seen it. But but the microfiche don't connect to the PowerPoint about Lana Turner's tits. No. It's like yeah, this is the most insane shit. I when I first read it, it's like. This is almost like creating a, uh, making it seem like Steven Crowder is like a superior replacement good. Because if you listen to this and you're conservative and you want comedy, you're like, all right, I guess I'll like watch a thing where the guy like gets in an address and is like, look at me, I'm gay, I'm a Democrat. And you're like, at least it's like I can figure this out. Yeah, well, that's uh, the broad comedy. Steven that Crowder, can at least enjoy. you can jack off to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no, back to this sundowning thing. Uh, Matt and I were talking about this the other day, and it really is like when you're a child and then elderly, you just stop giving a shit about what you say to other people or like if the person you're talking to has any frame of reference whatsoever for what you're saying. Yeah. So like if you're a kid, if it's a kid's talking to you, they'll just talk your ear off about like, you know, battle bots or whatever fucking TV show they're watching. Or if they're Felix. Yeah. <laughs> or if they're Felix no, right now. I, I actually tell you guys I tell you guys tales of combat and brotherhood that happen in my video games with my friends. But uh but Dennis Miller now it is just sundowning and it's just like he, I don't think he's aware that people are listening to his show. Oh god no. And he just sort of like gets on there and like he'll get angry at the news, but really like he'll just start remembering things from his life. Yes. Like, as the neurons flicker out in his head, it'll just be, like, thinking back to, like, you know, the first time uh, he felt a tit yeah. in the back of a car or something. Yeah. Do, do you know the you know how when you have relatives that get older, like, when you call them, you're not really calling them to have a conversation, right? You're calling them because it's, like, you figure their brains are faltering and the lights are flickering on and off, and it's, like, nice to talk to them, but you don't enjoy any of it. You're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. obviously. It's not about that. It's, like, this is a nice thing I can do for this person I'm related to, but this is, this is somehow turning this into a media product. You have the same experience listening to all of this. You're like, yeah, this isn't good. I'm not picking anything up. In fact, this is kind of sad and sort of a struggle for me to even follow a thread. Actually, it's a nice thing for this guy. It's like that because he has a producer who he's talking to and he's a young guy and their dynamic is, as Alex says in his article, the dynamic of someone calling their senescent grandfather. (laughs) The producer is just a, a certified nurse's assistant at this point. I got a. I got it's an, Eminem Obama. I got another example of a, a classic Dennis Miller joke. He's uh, he's been doing this on on Twitter. He's been sharing some gems. He's, this is from June. 2nd. Oh God! This he goes, one. 
progressives are shooting themselves in the foot more frequently than a centipede who, quite frankly, is getting no relief whatsoever from a topical application of a generic antifungal toenail cream. I think how long that joke but, but, goes but, on. But that doesn't do anything like... <laughs> So if you deduce it long enough, he means that the centipede is doing foot injections. I guess. But but like it's this sounds well, no, like it's something topical. Al- they would use a cream. If it's topical, you wouldn't do injections. And, oh right, right. And uh, they don't have toenails. And, that, um, and, I, I forget what the term is in semiotics, but there's a thing for like when um, uh, a, a sign no longer represents a thing. It represents another sign. Yeah. And it's like he's doing the fifth level of that now. Yeah. Like you have to go through so many different layers to get down to what the fuck he's talking did about. He, floating signifier, did, I think. Did he like give up writing the Michelle Wolf jokes because he accidentally opened a portal to another dimension <laughs> trying to write a burn on her? No, he, got, he, he didn't write hey, box. hey, babe, I for, found more alternative realities in fanfiction.net. <laughs> that actually makes too much sense for him. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's what that's he was saying 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm going, we won't need eyes to see, babe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is it, it ceases even to be like a conservative comedian. Like some of these are like missives from Albert Fish. It's <laughs> <laughs> like this is horrifying. Is the centipede a clue? Did you kill like a hundred people or something? But Alex, like, so you, you've exposed yourself to now ten hours of this radio oh my show, God. which is like. Yeah, like is some sort of Pontypool mind virus, I'm sure, that has affected you dramatically in ways that you'll soon find out. But did you get an impression of like who this is for, like who, who the Dennis Miller audience is or like what his politics are outside of just sort of generic right wing dad? No, I have no clue. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, he does now have a sponsor. He has a, it? It's called uh, it's called. Uh, is it a catheter company? No, close. It's called Just Hymns. Just Hymns, not like religious hymns. Hymns, H-I-M-S. And it is a company that delivers balding and sexual health medications to your home. Incredible. Ooh. Yeah. It's like a loot box for divorced dads. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Ooh. That's incredible. It's like Rogaine and off-brand Cialis directly to your house. Hell that, yes. That's what oh it is. Oh, my God. It's, hey, <laughs> pop a couple of these and then think about Lana Turner's microfiche PowerPoint presentation of her fucking tits and ass. There has to be like an, ep- there has to be an epidemic of boomers trying to jack off to like Heidi Lamar. <laughs> They're like, I want to be like Dennis. No more Lisa Ann. That shit's stupid. <laughs> Look, I always wanted to hear the last words of Dutch Schultz put onto a podcast, and I think that it's very f- appreciated for that. See how yeah, yeah, see- yeah, Riley Reed disrespected our president. I'm not watching her again. <laughs> um, I was just like thinking back to uh, Dennis Miller because, like, okay, so he hosted the Weekend Update in like yeah. the '90s era SNL that we all watched, and it was just you know he was the news comedian. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, fancying myself sort of a, a precocious and politically informed youngster, I was like, oh, this is funny. This is smart yeah. humor for me. Oh, I loved it. Because you got to feel smart as a kid for getting the references that you knew most kids your age wouldn't get. And then he went on to do, like, the proto Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO, yes. the Dennis Miller show yes. on HBO, which I also watched. I watched the hell was, out of that. You know, it was like HBO, you could have curses, and then... He would do his rants. He'd or get whatever. off on a rant here. And like thinking back on it now, it's sort of very hard to gauge what the political content actually was because I think Alex is right. Like 
you, you, you think he was a liberal or a conservative, but it was actually very, if I could put it, it was like just sort of pseudo-libertarian in a way. It was just cranky kind of, cr- cranky rich celebrity. Well, the way you figure it out is by you go to the Hadiths, which are his books, which I own, I'll admit, as a small child, a number of. He had a, a, a so collection. Jesus Christ. I was so glad that I was like three years old when this a wee was going one. on. I had, I had these books. They were collections of his rants from the show that would start off every show. He'd go, I'm going to have to rant here. And that would be the beginning. Instead of a mo- he'd do a little short monologue, but then he'd do this two-minute rant. And they compiled them into a bunch of books, the titles of which are Rants, Ranting Again, Rants Redux, I Rant Therefore I Am, Still Ranting After All These Years, and The Rant Zone, which has the subtitle an all-out blitz against soul-sucking jobs, twisted child stars, holistic loons, and people who eat their dogs. Finally, someone's going after them. Someone's going after he, Obama. Yeah, finally. He, he tried to warn them. He That's knew, why he's he knew ahead hero. of time. That's why he's a hero. He was like John Connor. Folks, he's going to be eating dog, mm-hmm. okay? Hey, babe, the child you're giving birth to will shout you lie during the, pres- during the State of the Union more times than a teetotaler at a beer convention. I'm predicting now that a lot of the uh, the shitty liberal comedians that have flowered in uh, in the aftermath of Trump are going to end up going that same way. Like Seth Meyers, uh, Samantha B. We already know she's pro segregation. We're, we're going to see that in like the uh, the 2020s. We're going to see these guys get on talk radio because they don't give a shit. Just um, uh, two memories uh, of Dennis Miller that I have about like sort of the arc of uh, his humor. The first one, this is like the only real conscious memory I have of his HBO show, other than the fact it existed. But he would have guests on. And one of his guests on the show was Gloria Allred, the famous uh, litigator, the famous attorney. And he sort of has like an argument with her, like playful argument uh, during their you know, interview segment. And then he would end the show by looking at funny pictures and making captions for them. And then he sort of walks away from the, the interview chairs to like his mark where he's going to do the, uh, the ending of the show. And he sort of like looks back at Gloria, does some shadow boxing and goes, punchy broad, that Gloria. <laughs> <laughs> he also had Joe Arpaio on as a guest. And wow. fawned over him for his tough on crime uh, antics. Well, that was, that's a, it's a very specific type of 90s political humor where it's not political really because it doesn't have an ideology except like i'm sick of regulations though like a story about like a girl with a lemonade stand uh not having a small business license and they'll talk about how there's yeah, too much regulation yeah. well yeah and, and, they, and then and then like a generic thing that's like it was before you could fully be for drug legalization be like hey uh cops will stop you from smoking weed but they won't stop you from taking prozac and then like uh you know, hey, there are too many criminals all around, even though crime was like rapidly decreasing in the 90s. Well, you could hear it in that subtitle to The Rant Zone, Holistic Loons. Like, that's the kind of thing they got really upset about is like somebody like a vegan or something. The Dennis Leary thing, basically. That's a really weird uh, trajectory that a lot of those guys have taken. Like the 90s comedians who were sort of confrontational, but not in an ideological way. That's that's why we see so many guys like Joe Rogan and like these people who are like, what is comedy? What does comedy come to? Like everyone's offended now. Yeah. Like and like they don't really have an ideological qualm about it. It's just like 
their like very specific way of sounding confrontational. Yeah, well, they're gone by the wayside and like they feel alienated by it. And like, I don't know. It it was, I mean, that sort of thing that still is sort of a type of comedy because it metastasized into like the very 2008 thing of being like, oh, I'm sick of hipsters who listen to Lil Wayne because all your cultural references just sort of like collapsed into one, uh, every type of person you hate. And it was that was Greg Gutfeld's thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, it was uh, not cool. Of like the hipster elite are ruining America. <laughs> but yeah, it's directed at like a type of individual you don't hate. And the proto form of that is Dennis Leary being like, I just want fucking coffee. And then it's, you know, fuck, destroying hipsters with rage comics. Yeah. And well, now it's like triggered SJWs. Yeah. They're always reacting to the most superficial expressions of cultural change. Well, do you remember when uh, Jerry Seinfeld oh, God. Said, that, said that, like, I can't do colleges anymore because, like, the, you know, the, the kids get too offended, which I could see is, like, true. On All a these girls level. are of legal age there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I guess it'd be true on a certain level, but also it may also just be that, like, Jerry Seinfeld isn't funny anymore to kids these no, days. No, that's exactly what it was. Cause he was he, never funny. He, <laughs> yeah. he never got... I, I remember this whole stupid thing. He never got yelled at. He never got dragged. He never got called out. He never got protested at a gig. What happened is, is that when he was doing some new material and he was taking it around the, the, the comedy circuit, going to clubs and then going on uh, like Colbert or whatever, he had this bit where the where the punchline was, "You look like a gay French king," and people weren't mad at it and they didn't boo. It's just he didn't get a laugh, and because he didn't get a laugh, Jerry Seinfeld didn't get a laugh at a joke. It meant that the SJWs were out of control. That was that's how entitled he was at this point of being a billionaire with no accountability or interaction with any regular human being. I is that SJW not, no monarchists what is, are so easily offended. What is I up? kind of uh, love watching uh, Jerry Seinfeld now just because he's been so inhumanly rich for so long. Yeah, he's so lazy. He doesn't understand what's going on at all. He has not moved along with the times. He's weirdly like, like he had that, the riding in cars with comedians thing. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. And uh, Fred Armisen was, on, was in one of them. And he's like, so what, what, what are you? You're like, a, you're like an exotic bird. <laughs> and I was just like, "You're too young to be that racist." <laughs> like, I don't even know. I like it. It it wasn't even offensive. It was just like you sound like you're seventy. Well, Amber, you know, you brought up his comedians in cars getting coffee. Comedians getting coffee in cars or some shit like I don't that. Know. That shit sucks so yeah, yeah. bad, dude. If you, like you might as well just title it "My Dick Doesn't Work Anymore." <laughs> Well, it's just really confusing because he should not sound as old as he does, but that's what apparently a huge amount of money for a really prolonged amount of time well, does yeah, for you. Yeah, like you mentioned what it's like to be that wealthy for as long as he has been. Netflix has literally given him, him money to have a TV show where he takes one of his 600 like antique or luxury <laughs> he takes and it takes his friends in one of his fleet of cars to get coffee and just talks to them for 20 minutes about anything it's like i'm going to uh i'm going to take uh chris rock and louis ck into this zeppelin and we're going to reenact the hindenburg disaster on the way to uh starbucks yeah he's inviting people over paying them to be his friends and play with his toy trains with him it's very weird since becoming insanely wealthy and having the ability to basically get anything made in Hollywood. His three projects were the stupid coffee show where he talks to other comedians, B-movie, 
and The Marriage Ref, a show that apparently he just came up with with his wife one night. If you know, it'd be funny as if there was someone to be the referee for our arguments. That's so 90s. And they put it on television. That's so that's very mad about you yes, in the 90s. It, that's yeah. true. It's basically taking 90s sitcoms and turning them into a game show. Uh, but yeah, that's how lazy he was. But like Gay French King is a terrible, lazy punchline. You clearly quit halfway through trying to write the joke and you blame the audience for it, which is what most of these guys are doing. They're just mad at changing tastes. And then they blame crazy liberals or whatever. For I'm just it. like, I'm just really confused by a man that lives in New York who's under the age of 80, who's confused by Fred Armisen's, I guess, ethnic ambiguity. <laughs> like, where have you been? He's been on a giant compound uh, in, in Long He's- Island and also the West Bank uh, training with the IDF. Oh, yeah, he did do that. He did do that. He did a fantasy, like, terrorism vacation where he did Krav Maga and, like, cleared rooms with, like, ex-IDF psychos. in the fucking West Bank, like, in the settlements. Cool. God, I bet, I mean, you know, fuck the IDF and everything, but I bet they hated him so much. I bet they hated him so fucking much. Yeah, because he's, like, an icon. Uh, Like, isn't he supposed to be diaspora boy? Yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. He's like what Israelis would use as an example to make fun of American Jews. Totally. Uh, what do uh, What do you do? You do stand up comedy in New York City about how women wear sandals in the wrong weather. Uh yeah. Actually, I've been working on that bit for quite some time. <laughs> uh, let me guess. You date child? Uh, technically not. But... <laughs> um. Sorry. Uh. My one. My one last Dennis Miller memory. Uh. Is this was. Post 9-11, where he had made this rightward turn and was just a guest and co-host for O'Reilly. And he would he would just he would come on O'Reilly Factor like once a week. And this was in the uh, 2008, during the 2008 election, when every, the hottest thing in the world everyone wanted to talk about was Sarah Palin. And Miller goes on O'Reilly and goes, you know... I think I figured out why Sarah Palin drives all these liberal women so crazy. Like, I guess referencing Tina Fey or whatever. And he goes, it's because when I look at her and Todd, I can tell that they're having normal non-neurotic sex every week. <laughs> what? Yeah, he, he said... What? Yeah, he, he said the, the reason... He said the reason liberals hate Sarah Palin is they look at her and Todd and can sense that they're, like, having... In his words... Normal non-neurotic sex every week. Yeah, yeah, on that's the what, campaign trail, in the bus, it's normal. That's that's what I'm sure it's really great, about Dennis. You're right. I can't even picture Todd's face right now, but I'm pretty sure I would never want to consider him having sex. And <laughs> oh, he fucks. Really Dennis Miller does. No, he definitely does. Like all those pervs, they all went crazy for pain. Yeah, it's work. like Alex, it's, it's Alex. like thinking about like a husky having sex. So yeah, um, Matt. Do you okay, want- yeah. So. I listened, uh, to, inspired by Alex's courage, I listened to the most recent episode. He has a new one today that I didn't hear about, the one where he talks to Gene Simmons, and I will be listening to that. Well, I mean, Gene Simmons, like, legendarily the biggest asshole yes. and piece of shit in the entire music yeah. industry. Oh, I can't which wait. Really it's going to be saying amazing. something. So last week was the most recent one that I was listening to, and I feel like to sum all of this up and to really get across what it's like to listen to him just have these spells while being recorded you need to listen to it and there's this it's a two minute long clip from the very beginning of his second to most recent episode it was like a Mohs procedure do you know what Mohs uh, skin procedure is 
I forget you're on the other side of all these things. They tell you to get looked at. Then I've told you to get your skin looked at. Right? Yes, you you just told me I think last week, and uh, I I can't stand to look at my skin yet, but I'll pay someone to do it for me. Yeah, I'm just saying. Why not use your head? Um, I lost a big, hearty, beefy friend when he was 35 to some of that stuff. Um, but um, I um, the Mo's thing is where they go down and scoop out what the, is a precancerous growth or a, a basal cell. I think is the second one. And if the basal hits your ass bone, you're gone. <laughs> um, but. Uh, and then there's another one, squamous. I think basil would be the first one, then squamous, and then melanoma. Well, you know, that's that's what you're trying to preclude. But anyway, if you get one of the first two, you, they skim down and do something called a Mohs procedure. I believe it's M-O-H-S, not M-O-E-S, as in the great Doug Moe, who I believe I used to watch. Jesus Christ. Play with the uh, New Orleans Buccaneers as a youngster in the ABA. See, that right there is an example of how you're playing a level of chess with Spock higher than me because I was, of course, going to go the Mo Howard route, but I feel like that's far too rudimentary. And uh, I, uh, I've just learned just something. Just brutally right humoring him right there. That my, is How fucked my career is because of the Arcania? <laughs> yeah. Thank you for reading that too. So anyway um, – they scoop down and then they go down one scoop lower. Let's say they use a, a tiny uh, miniaturist uh, melon scoop and they get one scoop below it and then you're supposedly – they call it margins. They, they need to establish a margin. So anyway, um, how did I get off on Mo's, uh, the Mohs procedure? What, what precluded that? I think that you were talking about a rusted out car. Holy you were talking right. About oh, this. yeah. Have you ever had a rusted out car? Well, I mean, but why this was I is, talking about that? This <laughs> is <laughs> if you like. This is that is that is classic old guy shit. Just like explaining your skin lesions as casual as conversation. I just I love the way it ends. I just love the way it ends. He goes, uh, "All right, rusted out car." Why was I talking about that? This is like this is a great this is a great service for like young children who lose their grandparents and miss them. Yes. Who die of old age. Yeah. Because it just this is the platonic ideal of an old person conversation that goes less than nowhere. Yes. Like a conversation that goes nowhere with an old person is them describing like a hot dog place they went to in nineteen thirty two and you're like, This is so fucking boring, but at least you're having a nice memory. But less than nowhere is the most advanced form of old person conversation when they're telling you about their gross skin getting scooped out, <laughs> but it's not even going in a linear path. It starts out with like him getting his skin scooped out. Then I haven't we haven't heard the rest of the clip, but it probably extends into like and then Golf Digest was in there. Have you ever noticed Golf Digest? <laughs> By the way, uh, that whole thing did start because he was talking about how he had. Uh, an old car when he was a kid that he had to like deal with the the rot the the rust damage over time from road salt and how you have to cut through like the rocker panels that get rusty and then he decided to turn that into a two minute long discussion of what it means to have a skin uh cancer removed and then forgot that that's why he was talking about well and and he missed the obvious joke about uh, two scoops of raisins, but uh, for his face. <laughs> it's like a combination of like sort of shock images because I'm thinking about like old person skin just getting melon balled. 
and <laughs> and Mr. Burns's childhood flashbacks. <laughs> it just nothing in it connects, but it's there are enough coherent ideas that are horrifying to me. You know, sometimes I like uh, I I realize that my absence from like Twitter and online has affected has greatly diminished actually my ability to free associate like I used to. Because uh, it really does keep you bouncing around, and instead I just sit at home and read the Financial Times all day. Uh, but it's nice to know that all I have to do is literally wait for my brain to <laughs> rot, and then I'll get that ability back again. Yeah. Well, uh, I think this is a, a, a good place to move into our final topic. We, you know, Dennis was discussing how you know melanoma and squamish uh, lesions stalk us all, and that we should all be checking our skin for when the, the Green Reaper will be leaving his fingerprints on us. So I'd like to talk about death now, and uh, one person's death in particular. No, not the deaths that made us all very sad this past week. Uh, an upcoming death that's sure to make us all very happy. I'm talking, of course, about Washington Post columnist Charles Krauthammer's upcoming date with the grave. Krauthammer, Woo! of course, the worst expansion set for Warhammer 40,000. Krauthammer 40,000. Coming the, literally the day of uh, when everyone was feeling really bad about Anthony Bourdain dying and how just talking about how good he was and just sort of like the integrity with which he you know, did his career and approached life. Uh, and then He taught me how to be weird. Yeah. The same day, uh, Charles Krauthammer literally announced, I have weeks to live, uh, my cancer has returned. And what was really great about that is in the midst of all of this outpouring of grief for someone like Anthony Bourdain, you got the best, shittiest, conservative assholes online got to get in on that action by pretending that, you know, Krauthammer is in the same conversation as like a, a giant who's, when his light leaves this universe, we will be only in darkness. <laughs> Fucking Eric Erickson literally said that in a hundred years' time, people will still be talking about Charles Krauthammer. Not if I, I mean, have anything well, to say about he's it. He's got two weeks to make history. Yeah, he yeah. like unless he like rig rigs himself the TNT and like really makes a scene at the Trump Kim summit. That's <laughs> the only way anyone's gonna remember. Not even his grandkids are gonna remember him unless they like yeah they bought buy like PlayStation twenty five with a matured trust fund and they're like hey why do we have this money. Oh, yeah, our dad wrote a book called, like, you know, The Specter of Arabs or something. <laughs> uh, for those the most of memorable you- thing about Charles Krauthammer will be that he chose to be buried in one of those German Pekelhaubs. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who may not know who Charles Krauthammer is, and I'm sorry for introducing you to him, he is basically the OG neoconservative newspaper columnist. He, he was like, you know, if... Think about over the last 30, 40 years of American foreign, poli- American foreign and domestic policy, anything just mind-breakingly stupid and cruel, you can be absolutely guaranteed that Charles Krauthammer had a hand in authoring either support of that policy or if not the policy itself. Mm-hmm. You know, even before the Iraq war, which is where he really made his bones, he, was, uh, he went all in on like fucking arming the Contras and turning all of Central and South America into a fucking slaughterhouse. He was in favor of that. Best factoid about him, and I saw this, a lot of people mentioned this when it turned out he was dying. A lot of people were saying, you know, a lot of people just didn't even know that he was a paraplegic. Charles Krauthammer was paralyzed from the waist down, 
because when he was attending Harvard Medical School in the 70s, he dove into the shallow end of a swimming pool and paralyzed himself. Oops. Which I got to say, love to take foreign policy advice from a guy who's literally dumber than Wiley e. Coyote. <laughs> Did, well, what's, you know, he actually uh, he, he lost the use of his arms when he uh, drove his wheelchair into what looked to be a tunnel, but was actually <laughs> just a big black painted uh, hole on a concrete wall. Yeah, he kind of had the postscript of a villain from Animal House. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, and I, it just it was wonderful. Again, you know, in, in in the midst of a week where we saw a lot of like outpouring of uh, grief over the loss of people like Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain, to see the conservative Dorcasphere get to have their moment of like public grief sharing over Doctor Strange, yeah, oh, yeah. by Peter Sellers <laughs> or Davros from Doctor Who. I'm not endorsing that show; merely the reference. Uh, so I'd like to in, in follow the- Will's alt account, uh, Time Lord William. <laughs> So, um, again, uh, please don't let anyone guilt you into not celebrating over the death of this person. Uh, The world is a thousand percent better without him. He will soon be nothing and forgotten. So that's good. But before we all... Did his dick work? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But before we all forget Charles Krauthammer, I would like to uh, do a little bit of remembrance uh, before we we banish him to the, 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 the world of ghosts. Uh, this is a 1989 column that ran in the Washington Post, and I want to read this, and I want you to keep in mind that when he dies, you're going to hear from people, likely across the political spectrum, if you're allowed to appear on television or write in a newspaper, you're going to hear uh, remembrances of this man that he was a towering intellect, <laughs> or that like even if you don't agree with him, the sent- you know, his sentences or just his, his uh, intellectual vigor... And uh, his pen and, you know, lust or sort of his, his pride in the sentences he wrote and ideas he helped shape are admirable. This is a 1989 column entitled Drown the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> it begins, this is by Charles Krauthammer, I hate the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, consider yourself lucky. If you do, you too have suffered through volume upon volume of the life of the insufferable bear family. The, the creation... <laughs> this is so clickhole. Oh, the so wretched bears. How I hate them. The insufferable It was bears. not spelled that way to begin with. Uh, <laughs> Curse it, Ursides! <laughs> I know I speak for thousands, perhaps millions of other parents who share my hostility to these lumbering cuddlies, but who cannot say no to a child who begs for just one more dose. The Berensteins make begging make the begging easy. The back cover of some volumes are thoughtfully filled with full-color covers of the others, plus cheer- the cheerful admonition, collect them all. It's not just the smugness and complacency of the stories that is so irritating. That is a common affliction of children's literature. The raging offenses of the Berenstein <laughs> is the post-feminist Papa Bear, the Alan Alda of Grizzlies, <laughs> a wimp so passive and fumbling he makes Dagwood Bumpstead look like Batman. Dude, okay, he's doing some all, Dennis Miller shit. Is Alan Alda a cuck? Because Alan Alda could hit the back walls. We all know this. <laughs> we all know this. No, in the oh, se- Alda, no, Alda in the 70s was the original beta male. 
he was always very sensitive and he was always worrying about his partner's feelings and he sort of became an app early like before the first the, this current wave of mag- masculine anxiety however he was the guy who was like the non-masculine man he's doing he was Den- the first soy boy he did a little dennis miller at the end but what he did more of and now i see why they're calling him a towering intellectual he was the first jordan peterson he was the first like You're grown, right. up, yeah. grown up conservative to read just like mad at yeah. children's books. Oh, uh, he like gets the last page and it's like then the little bear got all the popcorn stuck in his stuck on his face because it was too sticky and he didn't wash his hands and he's like this is so dangerous to decide <laughs> if we have to keep black people from seeing this they'll get start getting ideas. He's a psychiatrist. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, he was a psychiatrist. Oh my god, he uh, was. This is Jordan Peterson's Raza Ghoul. <laughs> Uh, Amber, you mentioned uh, Alan, uh, the Alan Alda thing. I would bet uh, dollars to donuts. The reason he hates Alan Alda is because as Hawkeye Pierce, he made it cool to make fun of the milita- America's <laughs> oh, <laughs> imperial yeah. bloodlettings. Yeah. So that's probably why he hates uh, Alan Alda. But So it goes on here. It goes, um, consider the well-known Berenstein Bears forget their manners, wherein mother, fed up with rudeness, sets down a new set of family rules of conduct. Each commandment is accompanied by a penalty. Wash dishes, empty garbage, beat two rugs. For those family members who dare transgress, Papa glumly acquiesces to the new maternally mandated regime. Cuck. When grizzly bears are succumbing (laughs) to the demands of the mama bear, society is truly lost. This is, if you go back in time, like, is there, are there like Edmund Burke writings where he's mad at like wooden horse toys? (laughs) Like, is this just a conservative tradition? What the fuck? He goes, he goes, he goes, uh, what are these corn husk dolls really teaching our girls? Yeah. Zar Nicholas the first. These nesting dolls are fucking bullshit. They make people think there's going to be more than there is. It's matriarchy. These tin tin books are not racist enough. Uh, so he goes, um, uh, Papa glumly acquiesces to the new maternally mandated regime, but he proves incorrigible. Long after even the kids have reformed, he continues his slovenly, craven ways, spending much of the tome mopping up around the house to pay off his doltishness. Mother Bear, too, is a creation. Every adult will recognize her as the final flowering of the grade school prissy. The one with perfect posture and impeccable handwriting. The one the teachers loved. I hate that stupid bitch. <laughs> I, I love the idea that Krauthammer is accusing someone else of being a prissy suck-up and fucking teacher's pet. That, that's the entire career of neoconservative columnists that this guy birthed out of his urethra is entirely that type of person. Yeah, Brett Stevens was for sure like the class cut up. Yeah. It's not like they, these people like got on this career path because all the people their own age fucking hated them. Yeah, despise to suck them. Up to their neocon professors. So, uh, so he, listen to how specific this is and how angry he gets at the, again, fictional character of the mother Berenstein bear. Uh, the one the teachers loved. The one who disdained your bologna sandwich and pulled fruit salad out of her lunchbox, minding her cholesterol in 1958. The one what you always, the one bitch. you always dreamt of drowning. What? Which what is, the fuck? Which is hilarious. Going consi- back to that, uh, yeah, he's mad because bears can swim without suffering spinal injury. 
<laughs> well, she grew up to mather, marry Father Berenstein of Bear County, and now you have to visit her every night. The reason is, of course, that kids love them. My boy can't get enough of these bears. Every night at bedtime, I offer him a list of stories I might read to him. I bid, what will it be tonight, Daniel? Aesop's Fables, Ulysses and the Trojan Horse, or The Adventures, Adventures of Ferdinand Magellan? How about the Berenstein Bears and the Sitter, he replies. Bears it is. I, so can't, has- I can't believe that his son isn't going with Charles Krauthammer's choices, which is like, hey, do you want to read this story about Cecil Rhodes wrestling his good friend and then read the letters they wrote each other and then this uh, really weird thing about shooting Zulus? Dad, I just want the bears. So uh, he goes on to talk about, again, and you're right, very, very Peterson-like that old-timey fairy tales are better because they teach better lessons about, you know, uh, how lesser countries need to be put under the boot of the strong. You know, I may be creating another false memory for myself, but doesn't the the dad and the Berenstein Bears, he makes the soy face on the cover? Yes, he does. There you go. He's doing the soy face. This guy is an And he's doing the, vir- the, the virgin. Well, rock. I will say that uh, his fear that he was somehow brainwashing his shitty kid did not end up being true because his kid is also a, a writer for shit like the Weekly Standard and the National Review. So he's a, not, he's a fucking... He's a turd neocon in good standing. So the Bernstein Bears somehow did not brainwash him. How is that true of every single one of those guys? Because it's too easy a grift. Every How, single neocon, no it's like a guy and his son. But who would say no to the easy, it's the easiest fucking job track in on earth. You just, hi, here, I'll sh- introduce you to all the editors who've been publishing my shit for the past 40 years, and then you just give them shit and a, they publish it. A perfect example of that is Jonah Goldberg. Exactly. Who literally has a career because his mother uh, convinced Monica Lewinsky to keep the cum-soaked dress. <laughs> so Jonah Goldberg's career is literally attributable to a cum stain. Yes. His career is a cum tribute. Yeah. <laughs> So he goes on here. He he, uh, he hates Sesame Street, Charlie Brown, and the even more infernal Care Bears fit this category of book, which is, in truth, just part of a much larger universe of movies, videos, audio cassettes, and little cuddly things that you are encouraged to buy. These books are to be burned early. Should one That's even- legit, I think. <laughs> Fuck the Care Bears. Should even one survive, you are hooked, a corporate dependent for life. These conglomerates, by the way, put in question my both basic political principles, since I cannot deny that socialism, whatever its fault, does not permit such things. Getting Wait, what? He's what? Saying, he seems to say that there are no Berenstein Bears in the Soviet Union, so therefore that's one <laughs> redeeming thing about socialism. Stalin, Stalin uh, he threw a lot of the Berensteins in the gulag during the doctor's plot. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, that is just... One peak. <laughs> Sorry. I'm imagining a, like a Berenstein Bears Oblast in Siberia. <laughs> yeah. Please just let us go. <laughs> so, yeah, that is just one peak inside the soon-to-be uh, decaying and rotted mind of Charles Krauthammer. Soon-to-be nothing. Yeah, Jordan Peterson, he's looking down at Jordan Peterson and he's like, you watch the streets, I'll keep the skies safe. And he's in heaven making sure that no one is, you know, that kids kids in heaven are watching like He-Man instead of so, Care Bears. Again, uh, if, if you should feel any twinge of uh, guilt or maybe you wince a little bit at us um, cheering his impending demise or if you read his column where he said, uh, I'm sorry, friends, I have but a few weeks to live. 
I would encourage you to go back and read some of his earlier columns, like, for instance, when he announced that one million Iraqis had a few weeks to live sometime <laughs> in early 2003 <laughs> in the pages of the Washington Post. So, yeah, also, don't get mad about people being happy that someone's going to die of natural causes. For fuck's sake, death comes for us all. There's no such thing as death identity politics. We're not goddamn witches. We can't make him die faster. I mean, I... There w- I did have that one chance to push him into traffic. I'm down a flight of stairs in a hilarious Rube Goldberg-style accident. Yeah. Well, imagine? he left the brake off. It was it's his fault. It was his wheelchair, and it was just like that scene in The Untouchables, but at the bottom was just a corn thresher. <laughs> so uh, I think that about does it for this week. Alex, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for exposing yourself to... Oh, wait, so- wait, wait, real quick. Okay. We have to announce the winner of the context... Also, in a very rare thing, no one else should do this, by the way. Only this person is allowed to do this because I know him. Uh, He's a guy from uh, Culver City, uh, and he pointed out that that the Daily Mail is not a Murdoch uh, organization. It is owned or primarily owned by Jonathan Harold Esmorvir Harmsworth, Fourth Viscount of Rothermere. I'm okay. Sorry, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not know that. Is he in Children uh, but of Dune? Whatever. Shout out to uh, Culver City Chapo Trout House family. Uh, no one else ever correct us because we don't care. The only reason this is interesting is because this guy's main export is probably like pedophiles. Um, but the the winner of our uh, harass the New York Post contest um, early entry. There was some debate about whether or not this would be allowed because uh, he did a Photoshop, but that's allowed. You can put photos and tweets. He, he utilized the full extent of the medium. He made a fake New York Post uh, ad that said, oh, no, not again. Another goddamn gorilla escaped. No, wait. Another goddamn escaped orangutan from the zoo has taken up residence in the Costco by your parents' house. And he just made a funny uh, New York Post cover. So that's Angus McNair. Um, at Angus D. McNair. Angus, we'll uh, message you to give you a free t-shirt. Wonderful. One more announcement. Twitch stream officially starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time Friday this week. Woo! Let's go. Alex, you will be a, a guest on the Twitch stream. You've been training, right? Yeah, I'm a hardcore gamer. Alex clunched a few games for us. Recently. I get a kill like every third game now. You're going to be up there. You're going to be up there. We're all going to be pros. Uh, and none of us are going to say the N-word on stream. That's the solemn pact <laughs> we've made job. with each other. It's yeah. the one job, yeah. and it's really hard for them. All right, well, that does it for us uh, for this episode. Again, Alex, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you so much for exposing yourself to so many hours of the Dennis Miller podcast. Thanks for having me, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.